Hey, we are diving into um, the last week of our God is series. How has this uh, series been for y'all? Has this been helpful? Anybody feel like God's met you in our time together over the past month or so? Thank you. I, 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 you answered and then I took a sip, which is sort of awkward, but thanks. Um, it's been great. I've loved it. Uh, this is our final week. And we're talking about the fact that God is through you. This is the least grammatically correct sort of makes sense title we've got, but we're going with it. God is through you. God is working through you, moving through you. He wants to use you as a conduit for himself and his good gifts to the world around you. Um, and we're just going to be diving straight in. We're starting in uh, Matthew 5, starting in verse 14. I, would, I need to give you a disclaimer at the beginning of this message, though, and that is that in about 25 minutes, um, 22 minutes maybe, we're going to read another passage of Scripture that is going to have some kind of graphic, even disturbing imagery. So if you're a parent of a young child in the room, um, I'll warn you again right before we read it. It's not this passage, but I just want you to feel free to parent however you want to in that moment. Um, you take your kid out of the room, or if you're with us online and your kids are in the room, or you're listening later on on the podcast or something like that, um, there will be a, a, a part of a story we're going to read from the Old Testament that's going to be a little disturbing, um, but I think it's an important part of the story um, for us to hear today. Ominous, I know, uh, but we're just going to get into a non-disturbing part of the Bible for a second. Cool? All right, so uh, Matthew 5. Starting in verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture with very famous language. You're a town on a hill or a city on a hill uh, is probably a phrase that you've heard before. You are the light of the world. Certainly you've heard that before. Jesus, is, this is the context for this is it's, it's the, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, comes right after the Beatitudes, the blessed R's that Jesus gives. And, uh, and he is now giving sort of a first commission to those, to his hearers to those receiving his ministry, he's commissioning them to be the light of the world in the world. And uh, the, the, this conversation would be taking place on the Mount, what's now called the Mount of Beatitudes, a hillside on the Sea of Galilee where people can sit and they're uh, listening to, look, probably looking either up or down at Jesus as he's speaking to them. And, um, and this phrase, a town on a hill, uh, isn't just a good analogy that Jesus came up with, he is most likely gesturing towards a town literally built on a hill that is visible to them. We have a picture of it, actually. This is the ancient town or city of Hippos, is the Greek name for it, or Susita is the Hebrew name, that uh, archaeological site at the top of that plateau-looking hill or mountain. And the body of water at the top of the screen is the Sea of Galilee. And somewhere along that coastline that you can see, is Jesus and his hearers at this moment listening to him say, you are a town, you're a city built on top of a hill. And this would have been, uh, this is a very unique um, setup, this town of Hippos Susita, uh, that it is, uh, it's the only city 
around the Sea of Galilee that's built up on a sort of a mountaintop like that. Um, and it, uh, it, you got to think that it would have been during the day. You can see it. You can see the buildings. It's all leveled here in this picture. Um, it, had, it had existed for about two centuries before the first century when, when uh, Jesus is speaking to his hearers in this moment. And imagine at nighttime, you would have been able to see the light from the lamps, the burning lamps in the city from all over the Sea of Galilee. You would have been able to see probably the little flickering lights of that city on a hill. And Jesus is telling his disciples, or his disciples and everyone around him, he's saying, you're a city, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill can't be hidden. This is where I think this imagery gets really important for us because yeah, it's familiar language, but think about this. Why is he talking about it? You can't hide that. As long as this city exists, which it no longer exists now, as long as this city exists, it's going to be visible. And he's saying, that's you. That's you. That's me. 2,000 years later, that's us. Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world. God wants to shine through you into the world around you. It's a little context for us. Let me give you a little, little extra context. Can I do that? Can I, can I just, I'm just going to you know, do a little history lesson here. Okay, so, um, so this is a little, little bit of the Bible context for us. Who is Jesus talking to? Who is he saying, you're a city on a hill? Well, if you go to the end of Matthew chapter four, we won't have it on the screen, but verse 23, this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, the 10 city region, which Hippos Susita was actually part of that, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they all followed him. Chapter five, verse one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So who's he talking to in the Sermon on the Mount? Who's he talking to when he says, you're the light, on, light of the world? Who's he talking to when he says, you're a city built on a hill. You can't be hidden. Don't hide your lamp under a bowl. Who's he talking to? People who just received his ministry for the first time. People who just experienced the kingdom of God for the first time. People who had just had demons cast out of them. People who had just been delivered from their diseases, their illnesses, their seizures, their sicknesses. People who had just for the first time received something from Jesus. And he is now commissioning them to be a city built on a hill, to be the light of the world. What's the point here? Here's a big idea for us from the very beginning, if you want to write this down. And that is this. As soon as you've received something from God, you have something to give. As soon as you've received something, you have something to give. That's what's taking place here. And you're going, yeah, but isn't there like some kind of a process? <laughs> like, Shouldn't I grow a little bit? Shouldn't I get some stuff worked out? Shouldn't I... Yes, you have a lot to work out, actually. So you need to get all that stuff worked out. I'm not kidding. You probably have a lot of stuff you need to work out. Um, 
But also, you don't have to wait to get all your stuff worked out before God wants to actually start working through you. That's just kind of the way it works. And it's a little bit scary and sometimes even a little bit scandalous because God is not looking for you to be perfect before he wants to start working through you. In fact, you're never going to be perfect. So here's another idea for you if you want to write this one down. You, I'll, I'll set it up this way. You're not perfect, but you have seen some progress, right? You're not where you were. So let the world see your progress, not your perfection. Now I'm sounding like a preacher with these alliterating words. Let, let people see your progress, not your perfection. Meaning tell your story. This is what God did. I was sick. Now I'm well. I was having seizures. Now I've been delivered. I was the demon-possessed person. I've been set free. I struggled with this. Now I don't anymore, or now it's different. I was dealing with X, Y, Z, and now, you know what, I'm free of that stuff. Or if nothing else, I met Jesus and I know I'm not alone anymore, right? This is the light. This is the light that is meant to shine through us. And so God is through you. You're his plan to shine light, bring light into the world. But look at the, the, the moment he starts making the point of them and us being the light of the world, he also has to make the point that a town built on a hill can't be hidden. Why does he say that right off the bat? You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. He immediately speaks to our tendency to want to hide. He immediately speaks to the tendency in us and the temptation to want to put the lamp under a bowl, to want to not be on display in front of the world. Why do we want to hide? What, what, in us, what, what makes us want to hide the light that God has given us? Well, for, he speaks to this to them, right? He says in... Um, in verse 11, earlier on, the last of the blessed ours, the last of the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He knows, like, you're going to want to hide because you're, you don't want to be insulted or persecuted. At the very least, being insulted hurts your feelings. For them, being persecuted meant they, like, people were being put to death in the first century later on for following Jesus and proclaiming him as the son of God in this Roman empire, right? You're going to want to hide. But he's not saying don't. He's saying you can't. You're going to want to hide. But you can't. Because you're, you're built onto a hilltop. It's the nature of your existence at this point. And we have our own reasons, right? That we want to keep to ourselves, keep our um, spiritual life, our spiritual life, and keep the other parts of our life, the other parts of our life. We're going to speak a little bit more to that as we go on. But I do want to say this, hiding a, a lamp under a bowl, covering up a light, it, it keeps others from being able to see that light, right? If you were to hide it, but it also keeps us from being able to see if I cover up my light. There's a new um there's a new product that hit the streets over the past couple of weeks. You might have seen it. Let's throw this picture up. 
the Apple Vision Pro. And I've got one that I'm going to... No, someone was saying earlier, we should have got you one for this. That would have been great. We can get a loner or something, right? That I could wear on stage right now. That'd be fun. Um, but no, I have pictures that I got off the internet that I'm going to show you. Um, the Apple Vision Pro, anybody got one of those? You don't need to tell, don't tell us. They're 3,500 bucks. Um, Apple Vision Pro just came out. It's pretty impressive. It is a device that functions all on its own. It doesn't have to be paired with a phone or a computer or anything. Like it is the whole thing. And you could just put, you could slap this thing on and go out into the world and live your life. And you could, you could pay for stuff. You could get, you could get Ubers. You can do all the stuff, right? You're just wearing these, this, this headset all over the place. All the while watching your favorite, you know, Netflix show. And no, and people are none the wiser, except with their speakers right here. So people could lightly hear probably what you're hearing also bleeding out into the room that you're in. But there, people, people have got them. People are out here in the world wearing them. There's another picture of what it looks like to have them on. So this woman is sitting on her couch, as you can see, looking towards her fireplace, but all her apps are visible, suspended in air. It's pretty amazing, right? Isn't that crazy? And there's videos. I don't have a video, but like you see, there's videos of what it looks like. You're just kind of like, doing this you have to do that i don't know why but you have to like have your hand like this to work it i'm not even trying to make fun of the product or anything it looks amazing but like it is kind of funny to see somebody sitting on a bench like doing this with the headset on for y'all y'all couldn't see me this like this sort of a move um but so she can pull up her uh powerpoint presentation is one of the apps or something like that um anyway so the, and then there's, here's, I got another picture. This is, this is people in the wild with them on. Can you imagine though, going across a crosswalk, the faith, because I've watched some review videos. Your peripheral vision is limited. <laughs> it stops about here. Okay. And so you're trusting that everyone, you're either doing full body turns to make sure you're good, or you're putting a lot of faith in, uh, in, in vehicles, uh, obeying traffic laws. This guy's got a robot dog. I don't know what that's about, but that's that's just these were all together when I downloaded the picture and the other guy's on a train. Uh, so this is the it's the Apple Vision Pro. Go back to the previous picture. So I I I, I watched some review videos. There is a feature though. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna nerd out for you just a minute. Is this okay? Some of you guys are like, this is the best. This is the best moment ever. All right, finally talking to me. Some of you you'll make it. You'll get through here. So there's a feature with this device and similar devices. One of the functions of it is the ability to see what's in actually in front of you as the backdrop of what you're looking at, you know, online or in your apps or whatever, right? So she's seeing her apps in front of her physical fireplace. She's in that room, right? Uh, but she's not actually seeing it through a lens because there, you can't see through it. It's just screens in front of her eyes. And so there are cameras on the outside of the headset that are videoing what's in front of her and then projecting that onto the screens in front of her eyes. That's so when you see what's in front of you, you're actually seeing video kind of like in your car. If you have like a backup camera or something, you know, you're not looking out a window, you're looking at a camera. It's that same idea, but that feature is called pass through. That's what they call that in the engineering of this product. Pass through is your ability to see, um, beyond just what you're looking at on the interface and what's actually in front of you. You with me, right? Um, and so, uh, there, this is, this is an interesting thing. Like, can you, like, has anyone seen anybody just walking around with these on yet? It's coming right now. We're at a moment in history right now. It's a spectacle, right? You're drawing attention to yourself. If you're just like out at lunch somewhere with these on, 
Um, but maybe in a few years, it'll be perfectly normal to see people, um, see people with these on. There was a, um, I watched one video of, there's a famous YouTuber named Casey Neistat. Anybody know who this guy is? He's wearing them around New York City. He's like skateboarding with them on, gets on the subway and a guy comes and sits down on the train next to him. And, um, and he's going, Hey, do you know what this is that I'm wearing? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, it's the Apple thing. And the guy says, what are you seeing right now? And Casey says, oh, I'm, I'm looking at you. I, I see you. And the guy was like, oh, wow. And it was an interesting moment where the guy's clearly thinking that Casey is only seeing whatever he's wanting to look at on the internet or on a movie or something. And Casey goes, no, no, I, I'm, I'm seeing you right now. And it was this like very human moment between these two people because of the pass-through feature. Thank goodness for that. And then the guy, and it's such a, such a, um, a wholesome moment. The guy says, well, this is my stop. Enjoy your adventure. And then gets off the train. And I've been thinking about that, that interaction ever since I watched this video. I see you. I'm seeing you, actually. And right now, you see, if you were to see someone walking around with this stuff on around town, it's a, like I said, it's a spectacle. Maybe in five years, that's perfectly normal. And we see people all over the place with VR headsets on. Um, it might become uh, sort of the next iteration of what is currently the international signal for leave me the alone, which is headphones, right? You put your headphones on in public, you're telling everyone, do not talk to me, right? That's right. And you, we do it. I mean, I do it. It's great. You, sometimes I don't want anybody to talk to me. Put the headphones on. I love it when someone who's working in customer service that I'm trying to interact with is wearing their AirPods. That's great. I don't know if I'm allowed to fire them or if somebody else needs to, but I do have feelings about that when I see it. Um, do you, sorry, are you on the clock right now? Okay, anyway. So I, you know, I just have some history in the service industry, and so I have a high standard, okay? Maybe that's where we're going. Go back to the picture of the guy going across the crosswalk. I mean, that is just amazing. And we laugh, and I'm not even dogging the product. Like, maybe you got one. Maybe I can wear it up here next week. That'd be cool. But in my own way, I'm already that guy. And you might be too. And that it's easy to walk around the world and live my life with my own little projection in front of my eyes my own little video, my own little drama that's unfolding, the thing I'm stressed about, the thing I'm worried about, the thing I'm thinking about, we call it not being present, right? I'm already that guy. I've already got the tunnel vision so often. And I, I have been brought back to over and over again, that interaction between Casey Neistat and that random man where he says, I'm, I see you actually. And I just wonder in our tendency to want to hide our light, to want to compartmentalize our life, to want to just even like survive our life half the time, right? You're just trying to get to where you're going on time or finish your thing or get pants on your kids or whatever. Like I take, I, the amount of times that I'm like, we'll get pants figured out when we get there with the kids. Like we got to go, you know, get out of the house. Like it's easy to just, I've got the, I've got the, goggles on. I've got the headset on. I'm just trying to get done what we're doing right now. And the question for me so often is, do I see the people right in front of me? Do I see them? Have I hidden the light in that way? Are you tracking with me? Are we okay? I do. I, I have a story I want to read to us from the Old Testament. This is not the uh, disturbing part yet. I'll, I'll warn you. 
when we get there. But we're going to be in uh, 2 Kings 6.24, starting out, then we'll be in chapter 7. 6.24 says, sometime later, you don't even need to worry about what this is later then. Um, but anyway, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for, for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. So here's what we need. This is just context. What we need to know, there's a military siege on the city and there's a famine in the city because no food is coming in and the people can't go harvest. And it's so bad that something that you wouldn't even think of as food, a donkey's head, is selling for two and a half pounds of silver, right? You think inflation is bad right now. You ain't ever spent two and a half pounds of silver on a donkey head, okay? This is, so, but this is intense. It's a very serious situation. There is no food in the city. Now we're going to skip to um, 2 Kings 7, verse 3. This is a story within the story. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? We're, we're starving. If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans, the army that's, that's sieging, besieging the city. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, then we die. So this is like three ways to die in Israel in, in the Old Testament. They know two definitely die, one coin toss, right? So we'll, and the one with the coin toss is the only one that requires them taking some real action. So they're like, if you're in that situation, I think you probably get to the place where you're like, all right, let's go. Let's see what happens here, you know? Flip the coin. We're getting up onto our feet, though. So at dusk, they got up. They went into the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So, they, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. Get another slide. There we go. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Similar stuff happens a few different times in the Old Testament where the Israelites are going into battle and they're certainly about to lose, but then God throws the enemy army into some kind of confusion or makes them think that the army they're facing is bigger or whatever, and then they flee where they all defeat one another, and then the Israelites miraculously win a battle. In this instance, it's four guys with leprosy. They go out, and they find themselves in an empty camp. Verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. So let's just pause here. here let's go back to the previous slide. Let's just pause here for a second. So these men with leprosy, they're dying of starvation. There's a famine in the city. And suddenly they go from, we're about to die, so let's go either let these people kill us or maybe we'll survive as prisoners and that's better than this. They go from absolute desperation to a feast and a fortune in one second, one instant, right? And it says they ate and then they, could you imagine? Imagine like 
Like this is like the stuff of like cartoons, like Uncle Scrooge diving into the money, which how did he do that and not break his head on, on coins? He can't dive into coins, but like this is what I'm picturing, right? Are you guys with me, you know? Okay. Um, they're making it rain. They're probably pouring wine like into each other's mouths and stuff. They went from we're going to die of starvation to we are just, we, we, it's a feast. It's a feast and it's a fortune. And then they have a moment, right? So the next slide says, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. All right, so these men with leprosy, four men living outside the city gate, in their desperation, go to surrender to the enemy army, taking their lives into their own hands and find themselves in the midst of a feast and a fortune. And these guys are us. This is us. This is me and you stumbling into the kingdom of God. Unless anyone here got where you are by your intelligence or your good behavior or your discipline or your ability to just figure it all out. But I would venture to guess that every single one of us, in one way or another, we just stumbled upon a feast and a fortune by nothing other than the grace of God. That's my story. 16 years old, stumbled into a feast and a fortune at, on the Mount of Windy Gap <laughs> at a Young Life camp all those years ago. I'm 39. It was like 23 years ago. And I'm still, I, I had a moment earlier today just in worship going, I'm still, no, I still know and believe with my entire being that Jesus, it's always been you, Jesus. Like he's still the best thing. The presence of God is still the feast. The presence of God still satisfies more than anything else. And every good thing in my life has come from him. Psalm 16, it says, I have no good thing outside of you. Everything, it's all, he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Even, the, even where I'm limited, what you've given me, I have nothing to say, but thank you. But more than that, the, the presence of God says eternal pleasures at your right hand. I'll, I'll be satisfied forever just because of you and your presence and who you are. We need to be reminded of that, right? You are at a feast. I am at a feast by, not by my own strength or my own doing. I am the man with leprosy who went out to die and went out with nothing and somehow found myself possessing everything. And they do, I think what's natural, they go, they enjoy it just for themselves for a few minutes, right? And then they start to hide the treasure. Because, I mean, these are people living in trauma, right? And the natural response is, I just got to protect what I just found, right? It's kind of the picture, the New Testament picture of the man who finds the treasure buried in the field. He goes, what does he do? He goes, oh, looks around. 
and he buries it back up and hides it. Then he goes and secretly sells everything he owns and tricks the owner of the field to get the field and now becomes rich. We don't know what it's a parable, but we don't know what happens next. I think the hope is actually he, he becomes a generous person who shares that treasure, right? But it's natural. They do the natural thing. They hide it. And then they have their moment of going, what are we doing? People in the city are starving still. Quick note about these guys with leprosy. So it says, you know, they are living on, at the city gate. They're outside the city because people with leprosy, and leprosy just meant any sort of skin disease, they weren't allowed to live in the city. They had to live away from the rest of the population because they were unclean under Jewish law. Um, which means that they were already the outcasts of society. They were already the ostracized ones. They already had had a hard life. And you did, what's interesting is like if anyone could have been uh, valid in having maybe a little bit of a chip on their shoulder or feel a little entitled, it'd be them. It's like, we don't have had a hard life, man. You never invited me to your table. I've never been, even been in anybody's house. I live out here outside the city gates and I just won the lottery and you want me to share it? And instantly they're going, this isn't right. There's not a hint of self-pity. There's not a hint of victimhood. There's not a hint of self-justification. They go, because they know. They haven't actually been able to firsthand experience what's going on in the city, but they know, they knew already. If we go in, we die. Like everyone, it's not good in there. It's just like it's not good out here. And compassion an awareness of the need in the city and an awareness of the value of what they've stumbled upon come together and cause them to take a specific action. And that is to go and share the good news that they just experienced. So, am I talking to anybody? Are we good? All right, so here's the disturbing part. Get ready, do what you will. You've been warned though. Uh, so one day prior to this event in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 26, it says, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my Lord and King, my Lord, the King. The King replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for for you? He's kind of being sarcastic, but he's also just broken. The King has no way to help the people. From the threshing floor, from the wine press, like, do you see food? I can't help you. We all need help. I need help. I can't help you. Then he asked her, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes as he went along the wall. The people looked and they saw that under his robes, he had sackcloth on his body. So this is the king of Israel wearing garments of grief and mourning. A broken man, unable to do anything to help his people. This is the point of this Part of the story is this is what it's come to in the city. This horrific scene is what it's come to. And what would continue if these men with leprosy didn't act on, in a particular way, on the feast and the fortune that they had stumbled upon? This is what was at stake if they kept it to themselves. Now, this is a dramatic scene. And, uh, and I mean, it's a humanitarian crisis that's taking place here. There are humanitarian crises taking place in our world right now, uh, but it's a, it's a, a 
an intense situation taking place. I think it's important for us to read this because I don't know about y'all, and you can take the slide down. Now, I don't know about y'all, but for me, what, keep, what makes us hide? What makes us want to hide our light? What makes us want to keep it to ourselves? What makes us want to keep stay in our lane and keep things in our Jesus lane and then do my work lane and do my neighborhood lane and do my, all that stuff? What keeps us in those compartments is I can have a tendency, this is my personality, I think, I can have a tendency to just assume like everybody's fine. Like they're all right. They're not, no, they're, everyone's doing okay out there. They got their VR goggles walking across the street. They're in their cyber trucks. I'd love a cyber truck. That'd be sick. But I just have to mention it every couple of weeks. Sam, Sam keeps telling me I'd look like a super villain if I drove a cyber truck. I still think it'd be sick. Um, if people are fine, they're fine out there. Everybody's fine, right? And, but in reality, everyone's not fine. And in one way or another, everyone out here around us is doing whatever they can to satiate the hunger that they feel all the while I'm sitting at a table that I didn't set for myself. There is a famine. There is a longing. There is a desire. There is a hunger. There is a starving taking place. And here I sit with a fortune and a feast that I just stumbled upon on my way to surrender. Right? And the call for us I think is twofold. The first being it's to actually get in touch with the feast, get in touch with the good thing that God has given you. Whatever that means, whether that's being a part of this church, whether that's the way God met you in your, in your life, in your past, whether that's the, the riches that you experience in him on a daily basis, the, we're singing songs about the bird, like I'm able to lay my burden down. Like people don't have a place to put their burdens. You know this? I take for granted, I can lay a burden down at Jesus' feet. What a gift, right? What, whatever it is, what's the feast? What's the good gift, the good thing God has brought into your life? So there's two questions. We have to answer, we have to ask ourselves that question, right? What is the feast, the table that I'm sitting at? And the second question is simply, do I see the people who are right in front of me? Is the pass-through filter working? Or am I so caught up in my own little drama? I'm that guy walking across the crosswalk. Brought it back to Vision Pro. You didn't think I would. I'm going to invite the band to come up and invite y'all to stand with me. This is a moment to um, get in touch with the feast. We're going to worship. We're going to receive. We've got a ministry team that would love to pray for you over here against this curtain um, to receive for yourself for the first time or the hundredth time. We've got communion set up to get reacclimated with the feast that's been set before you. And the feast is simply, it's Jesus himself, right? He is the meal. He is the good thing that, that he's bringing into your life. Um, and we're going to sing a song that I, I love this song, but there's even one line in it that I've, has just been on my mind the past few days. And it's, it's, I came here with nothing, but all you've given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me is, is the, in the chorus that we're going to sing. I came, I've been thinking so much about that. I came here with nothing. I didn't bring anything. And I've got it all now. Jesus, let me get acclimated again with the feast of your presence, the feast that you've brought me. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And uh, we want to experience your goodness. And we want to hear your voice as you speak to us and believe that you have something to say to each one of us. 
words of tenderness, kindness, love, compassion. You have compassion for our need. And somehow you want to work through us to meet the needs of the world around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.